joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above, melts the clouds of Thank you for joining us for this program from the 9th Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the 9th Avenue Church of Christ. It is so good to see you today. Thank you for being with us. If you would, take your Bibles and open them to the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth. We're going to jump into uh, our next series here on faith. Uh, or, or in the story of faith. We've been talking about faith. That's kind of been our sermon theme throughout the year. We started out in the book of Hebrews and the kind of the hall of faith. We talked about that. We've, we've talked about a lot of different things kind of through the year. But what I want us to do is, is kind of take a little bit different look at faith today uh, and over the next few weeks is talk about the faith of God. We've talked a lot about having faith in God, we've talked a lot about how when we have faith in God, how that should affect our life, how we should um, use that to motivate ourselves to do certain things and live certain ways and make certain decisions in life. But one of the things about faith that is so wonderful is faith is not just a one-way thing. It's not just us having faith in God, but the truth is God is also faithful to us. He loves us. He cares for us. He says, I'm going to do something for you. He does that. And through the book of Ruth, we see that. We see, and really, the title here kind of sums it up, that we are redeemed by a faithful God. And so that's going to be the direction we go over the next few weeks together as we kind of wrap up the summer and get into the fall. We're going to spend some time talking about the faithfulness of God towards us through the book of Ruth. All right, so as we kind of get to that point, let's, let's just kind of take a moment, let's pray together, and then let's prepare our hearts for our time of study. God, we thank you so much for being our great Redeemer. We thank you for the love that you show, the mercy that you show, the grace and the faithfulness that comes from you every day of our life. We pray now, God, that as we open up this great story, this great uh, book, that, that just shows so much of your personality, shows so much of what you do uh, and how you live and, and work in the lives of those who follow you, God. We, we're just so grateful for your love. And we pray that we receive that love, we live in that love, and we share that love every day. Be with us, open our hearts, open our minds to your spirit as we study today, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's, let's kick off here. Judges chapter 1, I'm sorry, Judges, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. We'll get to Judges here in just a few minutes. We'll set the stage here. In the days when the Judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Let's break this down. Let's just kind of talk for a minute about really where we are, what's going on, and what's happening. Because really the first kind of five or six verses of the book of Ruth is really a setting the stage kind of moment. It's, it's, the, it's the opening crawl, if you will, of kind of what's going on. Now, there's not a whole lot of detail necessarily in, in words, but in some of this we can kind of flesh it out through other things through Scripture. That's what we're going to do. So we start out with this first phrase, in the days when the judges ruled. So this book begins right here 
It begins in the day when the judges ruled. And if you fast forward to the last chapter, you're going to get a little bit of, uh, not really a genealogy, but kind of a, a bookend where they begin to mention the kings of Israel. So the events of this book is really a bridge from um, from the book of Judges into the book of 1 Samuel. So it's really placed in our Bibles in just a beautiful spot. It's, it's kind of a, you know, really through the book of Judges and maybe maybe even to the first of, of, from the book of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, you get kind of a pulled back view of what's going on in the world of Israel, especially in the book of Judges. You kind of get a pulled out view. Ruth very much kind of just tackles one family in the middle of the history of everything that's going on and says, we're just going to follow this family for a moment and look at how they serve God, how they worship God, how God blesses them, kind of how their life plays out. But it's interesting to see how their life plays out and kind of where they are because of context. The context of the book of Judges is not necessarily the most positive, is it? Because here's what it says in Judges chapter 2. They've come in, they've conquered not completely, they've, they've not done it as God had wanted them to, but they've come in and they've conquered the promised land. In Judges chapter 2, verses 6-11, through 11, it says, After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to each take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. That's the key phrase there. They had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. They had that relationship. They had seen the conquering. They had seen all of these things. And they were committed and devoted leaders to God. But then what happens? Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at the Timoth Hears in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what the Lord had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. So we go from conquering, faithful, everything's great, God is center, God is supreme, God is God, till we get to a point that there's a generation that comes along and they don't even know God. They don't know God, they don't know what he did for them. It's like he had somehow become totally absent in their lives. And one of the reasons for that is because they were told to go into this promised land and to conquer it. Wipe it out, right? Wipe it out. No one left. But they didn't do that. And because of that, we get to verse 11. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. What are the Baals? Uh, this is a, a, a picture of, of a statue um, that was found in a dig. Uh, Baal himself was known as the Lord of Rain. Uh, or... or or he who rides the clouds. He was the god of the sky. He controlled everything. Um, um, the, he, he supposedly, from their view, controlled everything that went on in the sky. He controlled the rain. He controlled the stars, the sun, the moon, all of those things. A lot of the weather kind of impact was given credit to Baal. And so when you had a good crop, your good crop shows up, and you, you have, a, have a wonderful year, 
Why do you have a wonderful year? Because Baal had blessed you with rain. He had given you all that you needed so that you could have a good crop. And they're, they're worshiping this God, right? They're worshiping Baal. And, and there's others, but he's really the main one that they're focused on. So I want you to hold on to this Lord of the rain for just a moment, and we'll connect it back as we kind of keep going. So what happens during this time, though, and, and, and if you've studied, you know, you understand that there is a cycle in the book of Judges that begins right here in verse 2 or, or chapter 2 of this book. The Israelite people fall into sin. God is angry with them because of that. So he allows them to be oppressed by an enemy. They cry out to God. He delivers a judge for their salvation. They live in a time of peace. The judge dies. And then the cycle begins all over again. Now, one of the interesting things about the book is that the people of Israel never return back to the level of commitment that they have to God in the cycle. They fall into sin again in the next cycle, but they never have returned back to the fullness. So by the time you get to the end of the book, you get to these statements in the last few chapters. In those days, Israel had no king, and you can take that as a physical king, but I believe you can also take that as a spiritual king. They had no one man ruling over them, and that really happens and plays out in 1 Samuel, right? But they also had no spiritual king as well. Everyone did as they saw fit. Then you fast forward to chapter 21. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So this stuff is just going on over and over. It's just rule of anarchy. You just do what you want to do. Doesn't sound a lot different than the world we live in right now, right? The world we live in right now is just say, hey, you just do you. If you want to live this way, if it makes you happy, just, just live this way. So let me ask you, how many of you, how many of you that lifestyle that the world promotes right now just kind of stresses you out to look around and see it in the world? It does. It does. It makes you sad. It stresses you out. But one of the great things about this story that we're going to talk about is, is even though the spiritualness of the nation of Israel is at an all-time low, we're going to see in this story that there are still people who are faithful and true to God. And because of that, God brings redemption. God redeems them because of their faithfulness. And we're going to see that today or, or, or through this story. All right, so what does it say here? It says, um, in the days of the judges ruled, so we know that they're following Baal, they're following the, the, the God of rain and all this. It says, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah together with his wife and two sons went to live for a while in the country of Moab. That statement, there's a famine in the land is important because if you are serving God in one moment, and in the next moment you're serving the God of rain, the Lord of rain, the one who rides the clouds, this statement makes sense. One of the things that you see throughout Scripture, a way of punishment many times from God to his people is a famine. And one of the main reasons, one of the main ways a famine happens is from a lack of, a lack of what? Rain. And so this is what God's saying. Oh, you want to follow this guy? The Lord of rain? Well, go ahead. See how that works out for you for a little while. How did it work out? A famine comes across the, ro across, across the region, across the world, however you want to look at it. And because of that, our, our kind of main family here looks at what's going on, looks at what's happening around them, and to some degree makes a, a logical decision that you could think. So this husband, this man, and his wife, his family, they get up, and what do they leave and go looking for? Food. 
I got to find a way to provide for my family. I got to take care of them. I got to do what's right by them. I've got to make sure that they are okay. And so they get up and they decide to leave and go somewhere else. But really and truly, I think one of the things that you can think about here is that they're trying to run away from the punishment of God. They're trying to run away from the lessons that God is trying to teach them. It's awful ironic as well, though, that they live in Bethlehem. Bethlehem actually means city of bread, even in the city of bread. There is no food, there is no nourishment, there is nothing for them. It says that they uh, went to live there for a little while, right? They live for a while or to sojourn into this country, to go somewhere. That, that word sojourn really means, though, for a moment, that that's the idea here, that they're going to go and they're just going to live there for a little while and then come back. But as you read through kind of the rest of the story, you see that, that really that ended up, um, maybe they ended up staying a little bit longer than they thought. We'll talk about that. But here's, here's kind of where we are. We see Bethlehem. We are going to go from Bethlehem up across north of the Dead Sea, back around into uh, Moab. And it's really not that far of a journey, really, from Bethlehem to, the, to at least the plains of Moab is approximately the same distance from here to Russellville, 30, 35 miles. Of course, it's on foot and it's walking, but really when you think about that, if the city of Haleville, and we all live here, or for us, for us, for us for those of us that do live here, we, we look around and there's no food and there's no water, there's nothing for me to provide for, but they've got everything in Russellville. Even if it's on foot, that 30 miles doesn't seem as big of a deal if that's where I can go live and survive, right? So that's what they do. They take off to go and to live and survive from Bethlehem over to Moab. I didn't take some of those uh, key slides out. All right, the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahalan and Kelon. They were uh, Ephraites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab to live there. Within Scripture, many times, especially in the Hebrew, names carry very important meanings. Elimelech means God is king. And what it really probably meant for his, God, for his name is that he tried his best to serve God no matter what was going on. And because of that, his wife's name is Naomi, happy or joyful. And it's this idea that my husband is faithful to God, he is a blessing, so I live a life of joy. And I think that that is such an important thing to remember in our life that if we serve God, if God is our king, then we can live a life of what? A life of joy. It may not always be perfect. It might not always be wonderful. It may not always be the best life in the world, but it will be a Christ centered, joy filled life because if God is our king, that's where our joy is going to come from. Not from the things around us, not from the things going on in the world, but from God himself. Let's look at these last kind of sections here, and then we'll make some application. The man's name was Elimelech. Okay, let's look. And they, and they went to live there for a while. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha, and the other Ruth after they had lived there about 10 years. To me, if you live somewhere for 10 years, you have not sojourned. You've not lived there a little while. To me, if you live somewhere for 10 years, what have you done? You've put down roots, right? That's become what? It's become home. To the point that the, the sons, what did they do? They married women. They started their own families, right? They, they have their own uh, kind of family dynamics. They've settled here 
And that's really a challenge because they are running from the punishment of God. They're running from, and in that punishment, it's really a lesson. They're running from the lessons of God, and they settle into a sinful world, into a sinful place, and what do they do? They put down roots. They, 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 they live there. They, they become what is around them in many ways. And that is just such a challenging thing to do. And, and, and that, this plays out into our story. But Mahalan and Kelon also died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. I'm sorry, was left without her two sons and her husband. They're trying to run from God. They're trying to run from the challenges of the sin that the nation has created and caused. And in running, what do they find? Not joy, not happiness, but more challenge, more pain, more heartache in their life. And now a mother who left with her family is now there all alone with her daughter-in-laws. So what's going on? What's, what's really taking place? What, what are we trying to figure out through these first introductory chapters or, or verses as it sets the stage for the rest of the story. One of the things I want you to think about it, and really we see through this whole book, is how to be somebody's family. How to be somebody's family. That's, that's an important thread as we go throughout this particular uh, story here that we're going to read. When you think about family, when you think about family, what, what do you think about? I think when, when we hear that word initially, um, I think two things probably come to mind. Our family family, like our biological family, right? Our biological family, those that we're stuck with. Uh, some of you are stuck with them. I don't know. Some of you are glad you're stuck with them, right? But, but, but we're intertwined. We, we, can't, we can't get away for the most part. I mean, if you're family, you're family. You're just there, right? And, and then the second idea is church family. Um, that, that when we come and we become a child of God, we are entered into this great relationship with each other, and, and, and we are true brothers and sisters in Christ. This morning, and, and to me, this was really just like this was lived out in this room this morning. Um, my, one of my best friends in the whole world, Tom, is here this morning. I think he beat everybody but maybe Valencia. Um, Tom got up and left at 5.30 from East Tennessee to come here. You went to Jasper and back this morning, right? But y'all both got up and left at the, about the same time. Um, but they get the awards for up earliest to get to church this morning. Um, but Tom drove from East Tennessee. He's going to Tuscaloosa uh, tomorrow for something. And um, I walk in the auditorium, and Tom's just here. And his son, Rivers, I mean, this is like one of my, my, this is my, one of my, my best brothers in Christ. And it just, I was, I was just like, what in the world? Why are you here? But that's family, right? Our church family is family that way. And so when we think about our family, when we think about how to be someone's family, maybe more so than even in our biological families, we find the family that God wants us to have within his church. Not just within the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ, but within the whole body of his church, universal that we are part of this great and wonderful family. So the question becomes, well, how do I become someone's family? Why is that so important? Well, it's important because of this statement. And this is so true. Everybody needs a family. You agree with that? Everybody needs a family. Go back to the uh, scripture that we read earlier that Kevin read for us just a little while ago. Saul has been blinded on the road to Damascus. 
and he's he is he is humbled in every way possible. He is um, at at a house. He is praying. He's trying to figure out what's going on. And God goes to uh, to a man, uh, and he says, "Hey, I want you to go and talk to Saul." And what's his first response? Do you know this guy? Do you know what Saul does? He is persecuting Christians. He's killing people. And he's got permission to do it. And he's all, he's all worked up about this. Ananias is. And God talks to him. And I love the way that, Kevin, I love the way you read it. Because after Ananias kind of gives his whole, do you know who this guy is? The next words out of God's mouth was what? Do you remember? Go. And the way Kevin said it was like a dad who's been listening to a complaining child. And Kevin read it. Go. Like, get over it. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you want to do. I'm not asking you if you want to do it. I'm telling you, you're going to go and do this for me. And when he gets to Saul, do you remember what he calls him, the first word out of his mouth? Brother. He looks at Paul, looks at Saul, and said, Brother Saul. Because in that moment, what did Saul need? Saul needed family. And he walked in the room and he said, I want you to know I'm family. I'm here. I'm not here to persecute you. I'm not here to make you feel bad for what you've done. I'm your brother. That's who I am. So the cool thing about following Jesus is we all get to be somebody's family and we all get a family to be a part of. The question is, how do we do that? How do we become that family? There's three family terms relationship terms in the book of Ruth um, that we see over and over. Grace is the first one. Faithfulness is the second one. And then the third one is really the most important one because it's used one out of every 100 words in this book. It's used 22 different times is redeem in some shape, form, or fashion. A redeemer, a fixer, someone who looks and says, this is broken, we're not going to live this way, we're going to fix it. They're the second mile kind of brother or sister in Christ. I'm going to go the extra distance with you. Or he says, our relationship is too important to leave it broken. We're going to fix it and move forward. So let's talk about these words very quickly, and then the lesson will be yours. So here's the first term or the first idea that as a family member of Christians with each other, the first thing we have to do is show grace. We have to show grace. And that means loving people despite their differences. What we love in life, what we love in life is we love it when people do what we want them to do. They live the way we want them to live. And they come and they show grace to us. And they're like, hey, just whatever you need, let me know. It's, it's, you know as long as it's grace shown to us, we're, we're good with it. But the challenging part is when we have to show grace to someone else. When we have to show grace to someone else. Paul writes it this way in Colossians 3. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. But the first two words, three words, bear with each other. Four words, I guess. Bear with means to endure. You ever had a moment in your life where you just had to endure someone? Like, I just got to get through this moment. Have patience with them and tolerate them. Tolerate them to me is maybe the, 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 the toughest one. Because endure means I, there's a beginning and there's an end. I just got to get through this moment. Tolerate means they're here, they're not going anywhere, they're driving me crazy, and I'm just going to have to get over it and tolerate it. 
and, and, and just make it work. But to have patience. We say I want everyone to be the way that works best for me, but God says we have to show grace to everyone. One of the things that I think of when I think of showing grace and understanding people is, is this book that I love. You hear me talk about it. I use it in class. I've used it in different places. But the five love languages. Um, we all have different ways that we share and receive love. Okay? Uh, there's, in, in this particular book, he talks about quality time, words of affirmation, physical touch, receiving gifts, acts of service. And the whole purpose behind this book and understanding this is what we do a lot of times is I, I receive love a certain way. And so what I tend to do is show love that way, right? But I may be married to someone who has a, matter of fact, I am. I'm married to someone who has a completely different love language than me. So if I'm showing her love by the way I receive love, in my heart, I'm like, I'm loving you, Blair. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you love. But she's going, no, you're not speaking my language. You're not loving me. In my heart, I am. But in her heart, I'm not. And so what we have to do is understand this idea of showing grace. Despite the fact that we're different, I'm going to do everything I can to show you grace and love you the way that you need to be loved. And vice versa, she's going to love me the way that I need to be loved. It's the same thing with our kids, too. Our kids all have different love languages. We all have different love languages. We have to learn to love in grace in the appropriate way and in the appropriate manner so that each of them feel what they need from mom and dad and from each other. We have to do that. We have to bear with each other in that way. Love the way that they need to be loved. That's, that's the important first step in this process. But the second one is it's not just about grace. It's also this idea too. That went way fast, didn't it? Practice faithfulness. Commit to the long haul. Commit to the long haul. I want you to think about Naomi for a second. Naomi is living in this house. Her name is Happy Joy. I'm living with a guy that follows God. For the most part, everything's good. We're hungry. We've got to figure some things out. And what does my husband do in, in this moment for her? She, he comes in one day and he goes, we're packing up and moving. We're packing up and moving. Ladies, how many of you uh, would look at your husband if they walked in and say, hey, we're packing up and moving today? How many of you would be like, I don't think we are? <laughs> Got one honest one back there. But what does she say? I don't know what she says, but what does she do? Where does she go? She shows faithfulness to her husband. She practices it. I'm in this for, I'm in this for the long haul. And if moving is what we need to do, then let's go. Her husband dies. She could have gone back home then and been with more family, but who does she stay with? My sons are here, so I'm going to be faithful to who? I'm going to be faithful to my sons, and I'm going to stay here with them. She could have gone back, and even a step further with her sons, her sons seem to have gotten sick in the process, and instead of leaving them sick there with their spouse, hey, you've got spouses, they can take care of you. I'm going back home. They, she stayed faithful, and she remained with them for the long haul. We need to remember to practice faithfulness to each other. Church family commitment is a long-haul thing. It's a long-haul thing. Um, and that means that there are going to be times that we hurt each other's feelings. We're going to get on each other's nerves. We're going to have disagreements. And guess what? That's okay. Because as long as we deal with those disagreements through grace, we're going to come through those things and still remain faithful Christians, and faithful brothers and sisters to each other. 
And I'm just going to tell you, if you've never been hurt by someone in the church, you've not been here long enough. You've not been here long enough. Hang around, and I promise you, I guarantee you, you can take it to the bank. If you are here long enough, involved enough, do enough, guess what someone's going to do? They are going to hurt your feelings. They're going to hurt your feelings. And it's not going to be a fun experience. But what does Paul say? Go with me to Romans 12. Be devoted to one another in what? In love. Honor one another above what? Yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. When your feelings are hurt, be patient. Be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low positions. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on who? No, no, no. Everybody say it. As far as it depends on. One more time. You. Not them, but who? Say this. Say, as far as it depends on me. As far as it depends on me. Live at peace with everyone. Be committed and show grace. Be committed and show grace. Even if no one else around you is, you do it. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. When your feelings are hurt, don't turn around and try to hurt someone's feelings. As far as it depends on you, live at peace. Be committed to each other in grace so that we can live as family with each other. All right, very quickly, here's the last thought here. Be willing to redeem. Go out of your way to make things right. Go out of your way to make things right. If wrong happens to you, all right. If wrong happens to you and someone hurts your feelings and you're having a difficult time in the dynamic of that brother-sister relationship, first thing is this, understand, I think Scripture teaches this, it's okay to pull back and calm down and let your emotions calm. Find that peace in the Holy Spirit and, 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 and not be so wrathful. You know, don't let the sun go down on your ass. Don't keep yourself worked up and amped up. It's okay to walk away, to sit down, to lay in the bed, to just turn the lights off and pray and meditate, listen to God, and calm down. The problem, though, is we can't stay there. Well, Danny hurt my feelings. I'm not going to have anything to do with Danny anymore because as long as I'm over here, as long as I'm over here, and Danny's over there. Danny can't hurt my feelings. I was having a conversation the other day, and it was, it was a very interesting conversation. But the lady we were talking to talked about how 
when you deal with emotional things in your life, it can be exhausting, right? And she said it's exhausting because you have spent so much energy holding all of it down. And you've worked so hard to hold it down and, and, and to just keep it from going. I'm not going to go work with things out with Danny. I'm just going to take all these feelings and I'm just going to push them down. And I'm going to do everything in my power to hold them right there. And then when you let go of those things and begin to deal with them, they're exhausting because you're exhausted from all the effort to just hold it all in. But God says, go out of your way to make it right. This is what Jesus actually says. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, we've got this challenge. I've hurt their feelings. They've hurt my feelings. He doesn't specify if it's a fault of you to them or them to you. It just says if you remember that something bad's going on in this world and you're in the middle of worship, you're in the middle of asking for forgiveness from God. He says, you leave it right there. Leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and what? Be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. He says, don't stand there and just hold it in. Go and live at peace with that person. Make the effort. You're going to exhaust yourself trying to hold it all in. But he says, be willing to be the redeemer. Be willing in the challenge of relationships in the church to look at each other and go, hey, my relationship with you is too important for it to not be right. And it may stink to walk up to you and sit down and start peeling the layers of the onion off. It's going to be hard to let go of it and let those emotions come back to the surface and deal with the hurt and the pain that's been caused in our relationship between the two of us. But our relationship with each other is too important to not. And that's the beauty of God. God looked at us and he says, I'm going to show you grace. You're not perfect. And I'm not expecting perfection. See, if we expect perfection, we're only going to see failures from people. That's all we're going to see. But he says, my grace has got the failures. You just stay committed to me. Say I'm here for the long haul. And my grace is going to take care of the failures. And understand that when you do fall, if you will come back to me and say, my relationship with you is too important, I'm going to bring you right back to where you were. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to reconcile you. I'm going to justify you. I'm going to treat you just as if you never left. These aren't just words that we use toward each other. It really starts with these are words that God uses with us. He shows us grace. He's faithful and committed to us for the long haul. And he says, my relationship with you is too important for it to be bad. I'm always here to redeem. This is going to be a beautiful story. Because we're going to follow Naomi and Ruth as they walk back to Bethlehem, as they walk back into this challenging environment, trying to figure out what it means to be faithful to God, that God says this, if you're faithful to me, I'm faithful to you, and I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to fix the challenges in your life. And I hope that you will join us for the rest of our time as we run through this book together. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the beginning of this story. 
We thank you for the reminder that there are times that if we turn our back on you, there's going to be times of punishment. Help us to remember, though, that those times of punishment are really meant to teach us and to push us back towards you. Help us to understand that and live in that God and and return to you in those times. Help us to understand that life's not always easy. That we live and we lose. But you're still there with us, God. Help us to look at you during these times of challenge, these times of struggles that we might face. Help us to remember that you are a redeeming God, a grace-filled God, and a faithful God. Let us live in the grace and mercy of that every single day. Let it motivate us to show those same attributes, those same personalities, those same emotions to everyone around us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us. And please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook. Instagram. And Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember to love like Jesus.